Well, do open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 2. This is, uh, if I'm counting right, my eighth Christmas as a pastor. And I realized uh, as I was preparing that uh, for Christmas that I've never actually preached the birth of Jesus for Christmas. Uh, We've certainly talked about it, obviously, um, but over Christmas time, I tend to visit more non-traditional passages or just continue on with whatever sermon series I might be doing. Um, so we've talked about Christmas. We've never, I've never preached the Christmas story, the, you know, uh, Peanuts Christmas Linus with his blanket uh, reciting Luke chapter 2 Christmas story, that story. Um, so today we're going to look at that and then next week uh, as well. So the first half of Luke 2 today and the second half next week. Um, and one of the reasons why I've avoided it for so long, I think, is because it's just so familiar to us. Uh, and, and I'm thinking, you know, why would I waste a Sunday telling us what we already know? Uh, and furthermore, I know that some people only come to church on Christmas. And so I thought, well, do I really want them to hear the same thing every time they come? You know, I come to church once a year, and all I ever hear is Luke chapter 2. Do you guys ever talk about anything else? And so I want people to get exposure to other biblical teaching as well. So for a long time, I've avoided this passage. Uh, but doing this series recently in the Lord's Prayer has taught me afresh that these familiar things, these familiar passages, sometimes we need to spend time in them more than any others because we think we know them, but we don't. Um, you know, they're so familiar that we don't even hear them anymore. They just blend into the background noise and we don't pay attention to what's there. And I think the added problem of the Christmas story is that we've added so much to it that we think is a part of it, that doesn't really come from careful study of the Bible. So we've learned things from our Christmas carols and our traditions and the nativity scenes that we see in movies. And over time, we've added a lot of detail that's not there, and sometimes that detail gets in the way of what God actually wants us to see. So my goal today is pretty simple. I just want us to see the Christmas story as it's told in the Bible and to celebrate what we see there. So please follow along as I read these familiar words from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. All right, that's, that's it, right? Really short story, very compact story, not a lot of detail. So let's start by having a little fun today. Um, and uh, I'm going to ask you a question. So we just read the Christmas story, pretty short story. You can even read it again right now. Get, get, you know, make sure you, you followed it. Uh, I want you to tell me now, what are some things that typically show up in our tellings of the Christmas story that you don't see here? Okay, and I'm going to tell you something first. Matthew also has a Christmas story, okay? And in the Matthew account, he talks about the wise men, and, and then later here in Luke, the shepherds and the angels show up, Okay. So those are part of the Christmas story. So don't, don't say wise men, don't say shepherds and angels. Those will show up later. But besides those, what are some things that you often hear about or think about in the Christmas story that don't show up here? Sorry, what? Manger. 
Well, we do see a manger in verse 7. We don't see a stable, though, right? It just says manger. You don't know where the manger is. It could be anywhere, right? That's good. It's animals, yes, we don't hear any animals. No ox, no, you know, no donkeys, no whatever, yeah. Eric? Right. Where's the mean innkeeper? Right. Where's the mean innkeeper? We know he's a part of the story, right? This heartless innkeeper who turns away a pregnant lady. Not there. The wise men aren't here in this story. They do show up in Matthew, but they're not here in this one. Where's the little drummer boy? He's prumming, pum pum pumming. He's not there, right? Mary riding a donkey. Doesn't tell you how she got there. She's not on a donkey. Might have been, but it's not, it doesn't say. I don't know. What was the weather like? What, is the, what was the weather? What, how do you picture the weather? I don't know. Kind of like today. Oh, you think it was October? Like a, a dusting of snow, partly cloudy. Doesn't say anything about the weather, the temperature, the time of year. We don't know. So there's all sorts of stuff there. And, and I, we go through that exercise just to show we come to the Bible with this pre-understanding, with these glasses that we wear, and we, we come expecting to see things, right? And as you're reading the story, I mean, I'm sure as I was reading the story, and it talked about Joseph and Mary going down to Bethlehem, you were thinking about Joseph walking and Mary riding on a donkey. It's just, we're coming to it. I'm not saying it's wrong. That might have happened, but it's just not there. And so what we do is we come to the Christmas story with all these details filled in, and, and we create for ourselves the story we want to tell. We've got questions, and we fill that out, and we, we make it this beautiful birth narrative, and we, and we have the, the point that we want it to make, and we, we fill in with the details that we want it to have. And in doing that, we can miss the details that are there, which are the things that God wanted to emphasize about this birth, and therefore the things that we should emphasize about Christmas as well. So I, I just want to show you that. as we look at the, it, it should be really obvious as we actually look at what's there, what the big points are about Christmas. So three things today to celebrate this Christmas based on the emphases in Luke 2. First, as we celebrate Christmas uh, this year, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, celebrate that Jesus was born in history. Celebrate he was born in history. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but the, the historical details about the birth of Jesus Uh, about Caesar Augustus being emperor, Quirinius being governor of Syria. Those take up about the same amount of space in this story as the actual mention of Jesus being born, right? So at the very end of this passage, it's almost glossed over. It just kind of says that, Jesus, hey, it was time for her to give birth, and she gave birth. Just happened, right? No room at the inn. That that line, we make so much out of that. It's almost a throwaway line. It's like, well, yeah, in the manger because there's no room in the inn. We, don't, we want details here. We want to fill out that part. When we think of the birth story, we flesh that out. But in the actual count of verses, there's just as much space devoted to the fact about who was ruling at the time when Jesus was born. So this would be like, um, you know, asking Jenna and Hassan about the birth of Lennox. Say, tell me about your birth story. They say, well, when Donald Trump was president and Bruce Rauner was governor... We went to the hospital and had the baby. Like, okay, well, I mean, that's factually accurate. That's not what we're looking for. It's not how we would tell the story. It's not the things we would emphasize. And yet that's what Luke emphasizes. He starts off by telling who is in charge. And he does this because he wants us to know that these events happened in real history. This is not a made-up story. This is not a once-upon-a-time kind of story. 
This is on a, in a real time, in real space-time, when, when this historical figure, Caesar Augustus, was emperor of Rome, when Quirinius was the ruler over Syria, in that particular real moment in history, a real thing happened. A real baby was born to two real people in history, in time, and space. Luke's trying to prove to us that this happens. It's real. This is the point of the whole book of Luke. If you flip back a chapter to the first verses in Luke, He tells us he's trying to do this. He's explicitly trying to write history. So Luke chapter 1, first verse. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning, sorry, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke's saying, I'm writing this to Theophilus. This is probably a wealthy Gentile convert to Christianity. And, and, and Luke is saying, I'm writing you this account, an orderly account based on interviews with eyewitnesses so that you can know that this stuff really happened. Theophilus would have heard oral traditions, the stories of Jesus being passed down to him, and then he heard the news about Jesus, he believed it, he was saved, but Luke wants to give him extra certainty, it's what he says in verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. He says, I want you to know that, that this stuff really happened, that what you believe is really true. And that's what Luke is, it's a, a work of history, it's not a collection of myths, It's not a a bunch of religious fables. It's a true record based on eyewitness accounts of things that really happened. And one of those things that really happened, a big thing that really happened, was that Jesus was born in Bethlehem when Quirinius was governor and Caesar Augustus was ruling the Roman Empire. See, we're, we're not supposed to treat this as a fairy tale. This isn't a once upon a time story. This was a in real history kind of story. And since that's a big emphasis in this chapter, we should make that an emphasis in our celebration of Christmas. We should celebrate Christmas as a historical event, as a real holiday about something that really happened, and not just a day that's about make-believe stuff that's fun to pretend about. So Christmas should be more like June 6th than May 4th. Let me explain that. June 6th, what happened June 6th, 1944? D-Day, right? The invasion of Normandy. Big, big historical event, very crucial event in world history. Um, And it's not a national holiday. We don't celebrate it as such, but it is a significant event. And many people on June 6th do, do have a maybe a moment of silence or some reflection on the events that happened. They might talk about it. Uh, If you're in school, you know, your teacher might mention what's going on, you know, what happened this day in history, an important event. Okay, we treat it seriously as a big day when something significant happened in history. May 4th is a different day. May 4th is commonly known as Star Wars Day, right? May the 4th. May the 4th be with you, right? May the 4th. It's, uh, it's, it's Star Wars Day. So what do people do on May the 4th? They celebrate Star Wars. They, um, you know, they may dress up like their favorite pretend characters. They may quote lines from the movies. They may watch the movies together. Just have fun celebrating Star Wars. And it's good fun. It's harmless stuff. Unless we start thinking that these make-believe holidays 
are more important than the real holidays of historical significance, right? It'd be pretty tragic if our kids grew up caring more about the destruction of the Death Star than the invasion of Normandy, okay? It'd be a shame if Star Wars was more real than World War II, okay? And we treated those things as different, uh, you know, Star Wars is more significant than actual history. And the same token, of course, it would be tragic if our kids cared more about Santa Claus than Jesus, right? Or if we cared more about holiday traditions than the real things that actually happened. Because in our culture, of course, Christmas is more like May the 4th, right? It's, it's a make-believe holiday. It's a time for Santa and Rudolph and Frosty, traditions, fun activities, and it's usually harmless fun. It's, it's fine, unless it overshadows the real event that we're commemorating that a real child was really born in history. And the worst thing would be, of course, if we begin to think of Jesus and the story of him as just another one of those tales like Frosty or Rudolph or Santa. But it's different. So when you celebrate Christmas tomorrow, um, I just encourage you, celebrate it as a historical event. Remember that Jesus was really born uh, parents, you know, whatever you do with the cultural elements of Christmas, make sure your kids know that this really happened. And if you want a simple way to do that, um, just, just take your Bibles in the morning. Like before, I don't know what your Christmas traditions are or whatever, so just adjust this for your own situation. But, um, you know, you wake up tomorrow morning, the first thing you do, may the first thing you do be sit down, open up the Bible together, and just read this chapter. And make sure your family knows, uh, and you remind yourself even, this is what it's about. This really happened. And pray and thank God for the real birth of Jesus in real history. That's one way to celebrate the birth of Jesus as a historical event. What's next? Celebrate the birth of Jesus in history, but we also can celebrate that Jesus was born as a king. That's the next big thing that Luke emphasizes, that Jesus was a king. So we see this in the fact that Jesus is born in the line of David. Um, After the mention of who's ruling, it speaks about this registration, and it emphasizes a couple times that they end up in the city of David because Joseph Joseph is in the house and line of David. So all this happens. The action is all set in motion because Joseph is a descendant of David, and that ends up with Jesus being born in the line of David in the city of David. Now, this is a big deal, and and we'd know this if we'd start at the beginning of Luke. So look at Luke chapter 1, verse 30. When Mary found out she was going to have this baby, the angel Gabriel told her some news. And he says in Luke 1, 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Gabriel is saying, your your child is going to be in the line of David. Uh, Now David was the great king in the history of Israel. He was the first really good king they had. Uh, There was Saul before him, but we don't talk about Saul. Okay, he was a failure, he, did, he, did, he abandoned God, didn't do what he was supposed to do. David was the first good king, and really David was the last good king. 
Solomon was okay. Uh, he had a lot of problems and really and led to the civil war and the breakup of the kingdom right after that. So, so really is David. Like he was the good king in the history of, of the nation. He's sort of like the George Washington of the history of Israel, right? The one good leader everybody can agree on. Yeah, he was good. And so there was this promise that God gave to David because he was so good. He was a, a king after God's own heart. He loved him. He, he followed him. God made a covenant with David. And he said to David, I will give you an everlasting dynasty. You will always have a descendant sitting on the throne, and, and one of your descendants will rule forever. That was a promise to David. But by the time that, that Mary and Joseph roll around, things were not looking good for that promise. Uh, there was not a descendant of David ruling over them. We already saw Caesar Augustus was ruling over them. It wasn't David, it wasn't his descendants, and it was just a bad deal. They were an occupied people. As a case in point, how bad this was, uh, Caesar made Joseph and Mary walk 90 miles to go to another town so they could register to pay taxes more effectively to him. Okay, this is not a good king that they're living under. This is an oppressive regime. They're an occupied people. But Gabriel says, no, that's going to change. He says, you're going to have a son. The son's going to be called the son of the Most High. He's going to be God's own son. And he's going to give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. He says, you're going to give birth. Mary, you're going to have this long-awaited king, this promised king in the line of David. The glory days are coming back. He's going to reign over the nation, and his kingdom will have no end. And that's what Luke is emphasizing here in the Christmas story. He's, he's pointing our attention to this, and he's saying, now, this is happening. It's happening. Mary is having this child in the line of David, in the city of David. Just like the angel promised, just like the Old Testament promised, he's being born. The king is here. Now, what kind of king was he going to be? Of course, people in that day, they expected him to be a king very much like David. David conquered flesh and blood enemies. He drove out the Philistines. He gained control of physical territory. He established a political kingdom with armies and taxes and all sorts of other things. And the people at the time of Christ thought, okay, when the king like David comes, it's going to be just like that again. So the Philistines will drive out the Romans. And you're going to establish a flesh and blood kingdom over this physical territory of our promised land. You're going to establish this kingdom and you're going to rule like a good king like David was. And it'll be better. And that sounded like good news. That would have been good news. But the good news is actually bigger than that. Because Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't come to be that sort of king and establish that sort of kingdom. He wasn't interested in just beating the Romans. They were not nearly big enough enemies for him to defeat. They were just a symptom of the larger problems of sin and death and the devil. And so when Jesus came, he came to defeat them. And that's what he did on the cross. Right? Little baby Jesus grew up. He grew up. And when he grew up, he didn't lead a military revolution to overthrow the government. Instead, he lived a perfect life of love, and for that, he was crucified by that oppressive government. But in his death on the cross, he won the real victory. He paid for our sins. He satisfied the wrath of God. And so that anyone who puts their faith in him can be forgiven of their sins and accepted by Jesus and welcomed into his kingdom. And then miraculously, after he died on the cross, he rose from the dead which means he defeated death and he gives us to the hope of eternal life in him that we will rise like he did. And so death was defeated, sin was defeated, the devil was defeated by Jesus and God raised him to his right hand where he reigns now as king. 
And in the meantime, here on earth, bit by bit, person by person, day by day, the kingdom is spreading. His kingdom has no end. It is spreading. Wherever you find his followers doing his will, wherever you find people loving Jesus and loving others, the kingdom of God is there. And every time someone puts their faith in Jesus, uh, the kingdom of God expands, and we know that one day he will return, his second advent, he will return. And when he does, there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain of any kind. And he will establish his kingdom on this earth completely, and there will be no end to that kingdom. So that, and that's all, that's all there. That's what Luke is talking about here when he says he's born in the line of David. He's of the city of David. The king is here. That's worth celebrating. That's why, we'll see this next week, in the rest of Luke 2, what happens next? Party. Party time. Angels explode in praise. The shepherds get so excited about what's happening because the king is here. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. That's why we should be jazzed up at Christmas time too. It's that the king is here. The king has come. He's won the victory over sin and death and the devil, and he's coming again to eradicate all evil and all sin and, the, and to throw Satan into the fiery pit where he will never get out again. That's the good news of Christmas. So make sure tomorrow when you gather together or however you celebrate Christmas this year that you celebrate that as part of your celebration. Celebrate that. Now practically, one, an idea for you, one way to do that is through the songs that you sing and listen to this Christmas season. So there's tons of fun secular songs that our culture sings and plays at Christmas time. Uh, things like Jingle Bells and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Winter Wonderland and, and you know the songs. Uh, and they're fun songs, but, but what are they designed to celebrate? Right? Just kind of the spirit of Christmas, taking sleigh rides together, enjoying snow and the winter weather. And, and those are fun things to celebrate. Those are good songs. But they're not designed to stir your heart to praise the king. Right? That's not what they're for. They have a different purpose. So I'd recommend, again, tomorrow, as you, or whenever it is you celebrate your Christmas time, as you gather together to, to celebrate Christmas, before you do anything else, do, do the Luke 2 thing, open up your Bibles, read it together. Remember, Jesus was born in history. And then just take a little time to sing a couple Christmas carols together. You know, the classic ones, not the secular ones, but the classic ones that, that are about the birth of the king. If you're not musical, you go ahead and pull up Spotify, just play a couple of them and kind of nod your head along as they play and, and just, remind, you know, just listen to it. Let, let that stir, let other people's music stir your hearts to worship the king. But music's so important. And again, I'm not saying don't ever sing those other songs. There's no place for them. No, there is. But let's prioritize worshiping the king. Get your heart right first. Um, now, if you want to, feel free to borrow a hymnal. Bring it back, but do feel free to borrow one. Just grab one of the blue books in the, in the, in the pews there. Uh, there's a whole section of Christmas songs. Right? It starts like 240, 244, something like that. Um, and you can just pick any of those, and almost all of them. As you look at them, they all talk about the king. Right? This is a huge Christmas theme. The, the hymn writers knew what they were talking about. So, for example, like, uh, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. There's that line. Born a child and yet a king. Come all ye faithful. It says, come and behold him, born the king of angels. Silent night. As to go, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Right? So you can't miss. Just, just sing a couple classic Christmas carols. Think about this truth and celebrate 
celebrate the birth of the king. The good news of Christmas is not that we get to walk in winter wonderlands or take sleigh rides or that someone is up on the rooftop. The good news of Christmas is that the king has come. So celebrate that. And then finally, celebrate that Jesus was born in humility. Uh, the last thing that John emphasizes, it's not so much that Jesus was born, but the, the, the manner in which he was born, the circumstances into which he was born. This shocking detail that Jesus was born and laid in a manger, that there was no room for him in the inn. Even though Jesus is this great king in the line of David, the coming king, he was not born in a palace. He was born ostensibly in a stable because there was no room in the inn. It's a key detail of the Christmas story. We know it really well. It's in every manger scene. But it's, it's weird, right? I mean, it's weird. Let's just agree with that. To be born in a stable and placed in a manger is weird. And just a quick show of hands. How many people here were born in a hospital? Just raise your hands if, as far as you know. Were born in a hospital? Okay. Um, any home births? Any people born at home? Yeah? Good. It's coming back, so it's, you know, it's a new trend. There's going to be more. Uh, anybody born in a barn? Any barn people? No? Danielle was born in a barn? No? You act like it sometimes? All right, so it's just not, it's not, it's not a major option, right? Not, not like, well, we chose to have our baby at home. We chose to have our baby in the hospital. We chose to have our baby in the barn. Like, the, you don't hear that? Um, you know, you hear different perspectives on sleeping, like, you know, moms with their new babies, they've got the different perspectives. Some people say you got to put the baby in the crib so they learn to sleep alone. Some people say you got to put the baby in the bed so they learn to, to be loved and sleep with you. Nobody's like, oh, but no, you should let the baby sleep in the manger or, or in the dog bed <laughs> or, you know, you don't do that. It's not a major option. And yet the king was born in a barn, laid in a manger. Rich people, powerful people don't get treated like that. And yet Jesus was the richest, most powerful being in the universe, and he had the lowest, humblest part, form of birth possible. And it was part of God's plan. It wasn't an accident. It was a part of God's plan. He intentionally had Jesus have a humble birth because he loves to flip the world on its head to make the proud humbled and to exalt the humble. Uh, Mary knew this about God, um, if you look in chapter 1 again, verse 46, uh, Mary visited her cousin Elizabeth when she was in her first trimester with Jesus. And at that time, she gave a prophecy, which is known as the Magnificat. In that prophecy, she notes that God identifies more with the humble and the poor than he does with the rich. So I'll just read the whole thing for you. This is Mary's prophecy when she was three months pregnant with Jesus. Uh, Luke 146, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of a servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in, their, in the thoughts of their hearts, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Do you hear the upside-down values in, in that prophecy? Like in verse 52, 53, so verse 52 says he's brought down the mighty from their thrones. 
Okay, so Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, governor of Syria, the mighty are brought low. And he's exalted those of humble estate. Mary, Joseph, these poor people. Jesus, born in a manger, is the king of the universe. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. These are the opposite values of what the world has, the opposite values that get promoted so much at Christmas time. You know, how's Christmas work in reality in our culture? Is that the poor remain hungry and empty while the rich leave stuffed with holiday treats? And the rich go away not empty, but with so many things they can't fill their cars and they need to buy bigger houses to put all the things that they've given one another for Christmas. But in God's economy, that's not how it works. He values humility over riches. He cares about the hungry, the poor, the powerless. He cares so much about them, he sent his son to be born as one of them. Jesus was born poor, powerless, hungry, laid in a manger. He was a great king. He was greater than Caesar. But he chose to become nothing so that through his poverty we might become rich. And so don't forget to celebrate that this Christmas, the humility of Jesus' birth. Celebrate the fact that, that not just in his birth, but all through his life, Jesus identified with the poor. Celebrate the fact that Jesus feeds the hungry, that he came to bring down the proud, but to exalt the humble. How can we celebrate that? Again, an idea. Um, one way to do it is by making giving to the poor a part of your Christmas celebration. Make it a part of your routine. And I know that, that there are tons of opportunities to give around Christmas, and many of you have probably already taken advantage of a number of those. Uh, it's great to help those who are in need all the time, and also especially at Christmas. And so if you've been doing that, if you've been you know, taking some time and, and money uh, out of your life to give to help the poor this Christmas, that is a really appropriate way to celebrate the humility of the birth of Jesus. To say, my king was born poor. In his name, I want to help those who are not doing well right now. Okay, so you've been doing that already. That's great. If you haven't, here's an idea. And if you have and you want to do some more, here's, you can follow this too. Let me suggest this. Tomorrow, or whenever your gift giving is done and your gift receiving is done, uh, you could try tithing your Christmas presents. Okay? So that's an idea. So hear me clearly. This is not a scriptural command. This is an idea. This is an encouragement. Just sit there and think. You don't have to get out your calculator, but just estimate, you know, what's the value of what you receive this Christmas? And then rather than, than letting the generosity of others end with you, like you're a cul-de-sac and it just stops with you, say, wow, I've been blessed richly by others this Christmas. I want to keep passing it forward. Okay, so just figure out how much did you get this, this year in Christmas money and, or you know, whatever the value of your presents were. And, um, or just pick a number and say, I'm gonna, I want to pass that on now. I want to pass that on. And, and think of some way that you can bless others with that. So you might pick a local organization that we've partnered with, like Midwest Food Bank. Uh, the Heart House in Eureka, maybe some international ones like Samaritan's Purse, the ones who do Operation Christmas Child, uh, World Vision, International Justice Mission, Living Water International. There's all sorts of great groups. Um, but, but take that opportunity at Christmas to say, no, I don't want the generosity of others to end with me. I want to be a conduit, not a cul-de-sac, right? I want to be a conduit, letting the, the generosity of others pass through me to others. Richly I've received, richly I want to bless. 
And so celebrate the fact that Jesus was born in humility, that he identifies with the poor by giving of your blessings to help those in need. I really hope that you have a great Christmas tomorrow. I hope it's a wonderful celebration. And I hope that this message and this passage has recentered your celebration on the things that really matter. Celebrate Christmas in such a way that you remember that Jesus was born in history. This happened. This happened. This is not the same level of story as Frosty the Snowman. This is real. Celebrate the fact that Jesus was born the king. Get excited about that. He defeated death and sin and the devil, and he is coming back to make a perfect world. That's what we sing about. And celebrate the fact that he was born in humility. He identifies still with the poor and the outcast. He came to feed the hungry, so don't neglect to do the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your generosity to us. Everything we have is a gift. Everything. I pray that you would help us to use the gifts that you've given us to bring glory to your name and to help others who may be in need. Father, this is a, this is a heart-level sermon that we had today. We're talking about our hearts more than our actions. Um, but help us to do the actions that reflect the inward realities of our hearts. Give us that joy. Help us to celebrate. I don't know how to command celebration, um, but you can create it in our hearts. So as we meditate on the good news of Christmas, uh, the good news of, uh, of, of Easter, the good news of the second coming, and the fact that we are a part of that story, Lord, fill our hearts with joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. We pray this in his name. Amen.